leadership and the ambition to do what is needed. Here is the Prime Minister of Australia. The leadership right and the ambition of the scientists have been telling us for decades, over and over Fellow Australians, far too many it is my melancholy duty to inform you officially far too few have acted that in with the vision of science demands. And we see the results. In some situations, they are approaching scientists worse than Great Britain has declared war upon her, and that as a result, Australia is also. Welcome to 15 Essays. My name's Richard. Please enjoy. Pandemic Australia It's hard not to be shaken by the daily figures here in Melbourne, in the suburb of uh, Flemington. It's a place of elm trees and Victorian houses, wrought iron fences and towering brown commission flats from the 60s and 70s, crooked old pubs and abandoned old cattle yards. We are at the epicentre of the latest spread of the virus in the second wave. It broke out in the flats a few weeks ago and the police descended on the place like an army. There were tents and coloured ribbons and ambulances and generators. It was like the circus had come to town, a real sense of excitement. People in the papers and in the office muttered around the conditions in there, in the flats, safe in their smug assumptions that immigration and poverty and disease must all go together, that because this took place in the commission flats, that all of these things must be happening. They were safe in the assumption that this is what the flats are, a place of immigration and poverty and disease. What arrogance. As locals, we did not believe this. Our kids and the flats kids go to school together. We shop in the same old shops along Racecourse Road. Our lines are more blurry. The rings of masked police and hysterical news stories felt wrong. We could not imagine the same lockdown a forced five-day quarantine enforced by 500 police in black flak jackets surrounding the flats, dressed for war. If someone in a shining high-rise apartment in the city, looking over the Yarra River perhaps, was to get the virus, they would not treat them the same way. They would not ring-fence them into their rooms and refuse them exit block all the Mercedes into the basement garage. The lawyers would force them to leave and you would have front-page accusations of brutality. But here they could do it, and the blind bigotry in their fear was shameful. They wanted to stop the virus, whatever it takes. Perhaps they imagined cornering it in the bottom of the flats, some mad, crazed creature, sending in some kind of crack medical team to kill it once and for all. They spoke of looking after the high needs of the most vulnerable, but they did so with police. 
we sent plates of food which were turned away at the barricades. We talked to a friend who was locked inside. She was excited at the attention. Melbourne had been ignoring the flats for 30 years and now it was on the news. It was exciting. It was terrible. The newspapers trump, trumpet the risk to us all and we have daily counts of the newly infected, 330, 270, 310, 727. By the time you, you've heard this, the numbers will hopefully have gone down and stayed down. I know today it was 33. The numbers blur one into another and the days are recast as emergencies as a result. The bureaucrats jostle with doctors on the TV, both excited by the other's company, both looking to each other for legitimacy, bureaucrats and doctors. We, we want someone to know what to do. We want them to act on the medical advice because medical advice is a solution, isn't it? What are the rules now, anyway? I work in a school and the kids fidget as they joke about the pandemic. They wait a little bit longer to check my reaction closely when we discuss the new state of the world. You said there would not be a vaccine, they say, in accusation, looking for the flaw in such a scary thought. It must be the teacher, of course. It cannot be the world. No, I say gently. I said that the papers are reporting that some experts have their doubts about a vaccine. But I do think they'll find one. My own words ring untrue in the air, but the students are happy to hear it. They look up at me in their masks, 30 masks topped with mullets and unreadable eyes, their facial expressions muted behind blue paper masks. They are in year 12. One had a panic attack the other day, heaving for breath, fluttering her hands in the air as if to mimic her surging thoughts, her eyes wide with the double humiliation of being so out of control that she would have a panic attack and and then, as if that was not, not enough, to have all these students and teachers actually see her having a panic, panic attack, their eyes scanning for the source of her panic, unable to help her as she scanned them back and struggled to breathe. There are automated hand wash stations dotted along the walls as if clean hands would make it all okay again. They hiss and spray alcohol in a thin, dripping mist, soaking your hand from cuff to fingertip and then evaporating to nothing ten seconds later with the faint whiff of cheap vodka. We wash our hands diligently five times a day. The skin is peeling from my own hands now, but I think it's from the bright yellow spray bottles that we use to wipe down the desks before class. I make a game of it. I let them laugh at my pedantic attention to the edges of my desk, my ostentatious attention to detail, giving them a free ticket to disinfect their own desks. They relax after and seem more normal, as if they have clawed back a little part of their world and have it shining and fresh and ready for their future. Our numbers here are ridiculously low compared to overseas. We are lucky and we are terrified. 
lucky country. We cannot complain. Our hospitals are not too overwhelmed. Our call centres are being deep cleaned. Three schools a day closed for cleaning. As I record this, of course, we've been closed for six, eight weeks straight. The whole state. It's been empty. The shops closed. Only chemists and 7-Elevens. Bottle shops for some reason. You can't get a haircut. You can't get your iPhone fixed. No shopping except for the essentials. My baby girl, eight months old, is a constant climbing, grinning, toppling, grabbing catastrophe. She's all blue eyes and screams of delight and excited crawls towards me. She looks at me blankly when I forget to take off my mask. All that is human is stripped from me in that moment. and She looks at me like I'm a mannequin. Her face is still and uncertain. Lately she's been ripping it from my face. Trying to hold it to her own. It's a game. My other two kids are in primary school. The parks are closed with plastic ribbons. They turn to each other more now than they used to. Their social worlds have shrunk down to each other. My brave little preppies that fought so long to build the confidence to play with the others at school. They've not played with other kids properly now for most of the year. My boy wants to play computer games with me and my girl sits close more often. My wife on leave for the baby is tired at the end of the day and needs me to be an adult with her. A break from the kids whose needs are usually diffused by schools and swimming lessons and friends and parties and who play with each other so well. With such brave young consideration, with such blindness to the unfolding silence in the streets, the tragedy seems all the deeper. People are dying though, and as a result all these things are all inconsequential in some ways, but in others they are not. These are the wider impacts of the policy decisions of the curfews of the first forced work closures of the failing businesses. There are a million tragedies unfolding and the bureaucrats look for scapegoats. We've shifted to the right. Police on horses rode down protesters today. Rode down protesters who crime was to wear a mask or not wear a mask. Three girls who crossed into the border in Queensland a few weeks ago were accused of shoplifting, being part of some kind of Fagan-like uh, shoplifting racket. They were hounded by the media, not for the shoplifting, but for the idea that they would cross the border, sneak over the border and potentially take COVID with them. They are black, and the press follow them around, Their brother, ringed by cameras at the front of his suburban brick house, was hemmed in by an intrusive crowd. He accuses the media of being racist, unpracticed at speaking to microphones. They, the media, assume he's too ignorant to understand the ramifications of his sister's actions, too ignorant to understand the way that controlling the vectors in a pandemic is a citizen's first duty. They are racist in thinking this. 
and he is vindicated by the glare of their lights and their rude questions. Our Premier battles on and seems to be a good man, but he stands alone in the glare and the interstate sniping by his political counterparts and the Federal Prime Minister. It all takes its toll. He stands in the lights and recounts the numbers and repeats the medical advice and tells us all to follow the news, the rules. I imagine that there's a daily report to his office. His media releases are increasingly dominated by exasperated sighs and hectoring threats. Talks of fines, $1,652, $4,700 if you break the ring of steel that surrounds our city. The ring of steel. To lock us in. To stop us going to our holiday homes. Stop us driving into the country. And it all makes sense. That strange logic of the pandemic. There are fines for parents who try to send their kids to daycare. Fines for families that do have someone who can look after the kids but send their kids to the state-subsidised daycare anyway. There are fines for those of us that have houses out of the city. Fines for those who travel too far to get Indian food for dinner on the front page of the paper. Yesterday, the Premier's medical spokesperson, the man he stood next to for so long, Brett Sutton, went missing. Do we pretend that they still stand together? Or is it just the government and the virus now? Does it even matter? The leadership and the ambition to do what is needed. Here is the Prime Minister of Australia. The leadership and the ambition of scientists have been telling us for decades, over and over again. Fellow Australians, it is my melancholy duty to inform you officially far too few have acted with the vision of science and demands. And we see the results. Right. In some situations, they are approaching scientists worse than the science. Great Britain has declared war upon her, and that as a result, Australia is also 